Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have freelance writer Fraser Brown. Hello. We also welcome back from Lore Sworn Order, TJ Haver. Hello, hello. Uh, so this week's episode was a little bit tossed together because I was supposed to be playing something completely different uh, this week. I was supposed to be prepping another show, and I really and and I'm gonna get to that. Like it's it's still gonna happen, but uh, the problem the problem was that last week I saw that there was a massive new update for Total War Warhammer. Uh, and that was coming on the heels of an interesting-sounding new faction, the the Norska, and I thought, well, okay, I'll you know reinstall Total Warhammer and you know play play with it for a few minutes and and see how it's evolved. How much could how much could it have changed, really? So here we are, like twenty hours and change later, and Total Warhammer is just about the only thing I've played since last week, and I'm I, I'm really <laughs> struggling to remember the last time. I've gotten so hooked on a Total War game that, like, I am just playing multi-hour stints of it. Uh, you know, pretty much every spare hour I, I can. And to me, like, you have to remember, I have barely played this game since the initial release, right? So since since Vanilla. And I bought some DLC, but I never actually, like, played around with any of it. So coming back to this, it really did feel like... We're on the eve of Total War Two, but I think I've already had my Total War Two, the Total Warhammer Two moment, because uh, like reinstalling this game, launching it for the first time, I was like, okay, what the hell is going on? Uh, it, it feels pretty dramatically different, and I, you know, I want to talk to you guys because you've been following its evolution a little more closely, and uh, you've been playing some of the DLC factions a, a little bit more, and I think you've both been playing the Norska. A fair bit, which are a really interesting uh, bit of game design in 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 this in, within this game. So I wanted to sort of you know have a have a catch up show on on Total War Warhammer and see where we're at with the game, uh, see what we think has been done well and and what we maybe hope to see done better. Uh, but yeah, so you know, am I am I just a little bit? First of all, has the game changed as much as it feels like? Because it's obviously going to feel very dramatic for me coming into it after after a year. But but I'm curious, like, does it feel as night and day to you guys who sort of seen it evolve more piecemeal? Well, I think what where it started to do that was with the introduction of those DLC factions because they each they they had a very distinct playstyle, but they also felt like they had an additional like layer or two of polish and thought put into them versus some of the the factions that released with the core game. And then what Foundation has done is it's tried to go back and bring some of those starter factions that were lacking up to the level of the DLC factions. So I think that is probably part of why, if you didn't play since Vanilla and then you're coming back to it now, pretty much all of the factions feel quite a bit different than they did at the beginning, and that's, that's one of the big changes that's happened for sure. Um, I mean, that and just the world feeling more populated. I mean, the the Wood Elf area used to be nothing. It was just a, a, a blocker on the map, basically. And you've got Beastmen hordes running around. And now that Norsk is in the game, you have, instead of, like, Tier 1 Chaos units coming and attacking you every several turns, you have this new faction that has its own whole different unit roster coming and attacking you. And I think that... I think they've made a lot of positive progress um, with these updates versus, you know, the the initial release of the game, for sure. 
Yeah, it, it feels like even though there were all these incremental changes, each individual piece of DLC did have a dramatic impact. So even kind of watching it evolve slowly over the last year, year and a half, it still feels like a big change has occurred. Um, and I think even with the very first DLC faction, which I guess you would be the uh, Chaos Warriors, even though I would say that it, that's the simplest of all the DLC factions, because it is really just, it's a horde faction that you just move down the map, mopping everything up. But it was a new way to play the game. Uh, they didn't really engage in diplomacy or trade or even really kind of empire management. It was, if you love the war aspect and solely the war aspect of Total War, which I'm sure many people do, then it's a great faction to play. But then after that, we got the Beastmen and the Wood Elves who have their own separate mini campaigns, which were both uh, pretty decent, actually, short, but... Creative assembly often is better when it's like focusing on one thing, which is why oh, yeah. Shogun 2 was so good. So mm -hmm. having these kind of smaller, more almost kind of linear campaigns uh, as, as a taster to this faction, kind of getting you ready for when you want to play a full game in the grand campaign, it, it was an excellent way to, to go about it. And we've seen Creative Assembly do that a little bit before. They've, they've made yeah. mini games for, for other Total Wars. But I think... The biggest surprise for me was that they gave away like Bretonnia for free. Uh, they don't, they didn't kind of reduce the quality of that DLC at all. Um, it had just as many layers as the Wood Elves or the Beastmen or the or the Norskins, but it you know you anyone could could pick it up. So it also feels like Creative Assembly are trying to make their their DLC have better value, or, the, or the, the game itself. Like, if you've bought the game, you don't want to get the DLC, there's still a bunch of new things for you to try out. And I believe that the new big update is is free as well. The, the one that yeah. changes all of the factions. And that's quite a quite a lot of work uh, goes yeah, into be, these sorts of things. Honest, like, I doubt I would have bought... Because, uh, like, before I got into it, I uh, googled once again... Uh, Fraser Brown Warhammer DLC. Uh, and went back to that list, uh, which predates Norska, but it had a pretty good rundown. Yeah, I need to of, update that. Uh, yeah, you should you should reach out to uh, Adam. Um, do you have CMS access over there now? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you should just update it then. Stealth edit. <laughs> uh, then, I'm sure RPS would love you, love you doing that. They'd <laughs> really appreciate it, I'm sure. Yeah. Sure, Graham I've, wouldn't I've... be emailing me angrily. I've stealth edited so many of my own articles over the years. Yeah. Very um, naughty. <laughs> shouldn't ever do that. Nope. Uh, no. Anyway, um, I doubt I would have like sort of splurged on as much DLC if it hadn't already felt like the game had changed enough and evolved enough that it was worth sort of reinvesting in. Like I think it was very smart to release this founda foundation update and new factions and some new heroes uh, that change things up so that not only does it feel like a bigger game, but then you want to expand it even more. Um, and I, I think the other thing is, you know, TJ, you talked a little bit about how the, how the map has evolved and it feels more populated and more alive and just more, uh, more more complicated uh it's mm -hmm. it you know before it, it kind of did feel like there was the human lands to the north 
and there were wastelands to the south, and everything really kind of happened in this at the time what felt like a really narrow band of settled yeah, you, regions. You had kind of this bilateral conflict between greenskins and dwarves, and then like another bilateral conflict between humans and vampires. And then chaos would just come in and flip the entire table, and that was kind of all that was going on with the campaign flow initially. Yeah, and, and now it feels much more uh, chaotic, I suppose. But I, th- but I think what I'm really enjoying here is that Warhammer should feel like an like Warhammer always feels like the end times, right? Like no matter what Warhammer you're talking about, the, the, the nature of both their fictional universes is that like there's multiple concurrent apocalypses firing off all at once. <laughs> uh, and the question yep. is whether you can forestall them long enough for civilization to continue a little bit longer before being inevitably consumed. Uh, and here, because now you have multiple like chaos worshiping factions but they behave completely differently um one of the things that i've seen happen now increasingly is it's kind of a crapshoot where like the world is going to be laid waste first and that can actually have some pretty massive like like game dynamic you can have a massive effect on game dynamics which has been really exciting like you know one of my favorite things in game of thrones uh the the earlier books and the, and the Song of Ice and Fire is, is this idea that the war zone regions of Westeros are increasingly just depopulated and denuded of resources and basically yeah. just like turn into a wasteland where there there is no longer any sort of political power there. There's no organized resistance. It's now just a charred wasteland that armies march through. Um, that's how warhammer feels but where that happens changes from game to game i've had games where like basically all the human lands just turn into like either burn to a cinder and overrun with vampires alternately i've had games where uh you know the beastmen basically burn out the dwarf uh the the elves and uh you know start setting up camp in there so it's it really changes quite a bit as to where civilization is going to flourish on that map and what's going to become kind of an easy pass-through region for the chaos forces which has really interesting ramifications for the end game what's that end game going to look like it changes from game to game based on how things have played out which i find really refreshing it also changes yeah. depending on what faction you're playing as because now we've we've seen like twists on the end game based on like different faction mechanics and quest goals. Like the Norskins don't have the same uh, end game as as any other faction because the chaos invasion is postponed um, until they've fulfilled certain prerequisites and done a few quests. And then they come and they're like, um, the ever chosen is like, you're going to join us and we're going to destroy the world together. One big happy chaos family. And you can do that. Or you can be like, well, I've just put all this work in slaughtering everyone. I should be the ever-chosen. And then you go to war. And it, that's actually a, that's a post-victory thing. Uh, that actually happens after you win, or, or can happen after you've won the main campaign. Uh, you've defeated the, the chosen ones of all the other chaos gods, and you're the, you're the Norskin big bad. Uh, and then the game ends, and then you can continue it, and that's when the chaos invasion can start. Uh, so and then it kind of the only problem is when you actually face 
the Chaos Warriors in their great sweep south. Uh, there's no giant dramatic set piece quest battle. And yeah. once you win, it's just that's kind of there's nothing else to do. The game continues, but you've basically done everything you could really want to do. And it's it's just a bit this, uh, you know, it, it left me a bit unsatisfied, but only that bit, everything up to it was was really fantastic. Yeah, the uh, the the I did the same thing in the Norskin campaign where Archaon shows up and he's basically like, oh, you can you know, you can join us. Or you can be like, look at me, I am the ever-chosen now, and <laughs> and fight like a Chaos Civil War. And I did the same thing, and that felt like the climax. Like, yeah. by the time I'd killed Archeon, it's like, well, there's nothing really left like that's narratively interesting. I'm just going to go burn down the entire empire. See, I'd already done um, that by that point, so I the, had nothing the to do. Well, the interesting thing, and this is part of why I think that having a more populated map has created a more interesting game, is what ended up happening is I started, like, burning Empire and um, Bretonian factions en masse, and the Wood Elves actually opportunistically started attacking those same factions from the other side and taking all of like they they were eating land from one direction i was eating land from my direction and so the wood elves ended up being like my end game nemesis because of that <laughs> uh because they had like taken this opportunity of like okay the realms of man are falling we need to we need to get in there and plant some trees before they you know sweep everything into the sea um and they they became like this super powerful faction which is why i think that it's such a better game now than it was a year ago because you wouldn't have had that before. You know, you would have just rolled into Bretonia and killed them, and then that whole area would have been yours. Just a, you've got gone. No, I was gonna say. So you've got these factions like the Wood Elves that like they're not necessarily on the human side. They're not necessarily on the Chaos side either. They're kind of a wild card, and those are the ones I think that make for the most interesting campaign scenarios. Yeah, you know they'll always fight the Beastmen, but will they? I mean, they they do have a sort of penchant for murdering Bretonians. Um, yeah. But they, they could just avoid them entirely. I mean, for in, mm-hmm. in my uh, Norskin campaign before Chaos arrived, Bretonia had just conquered everything. Like, they, there was still some holdouts in the Empire, but it was, it was quite a, a dramatic invasion uh, that knocked them out of the the running and so i basically just had to go through this vast bretonian empire because one of the goals in the the uh norskin campaign is to defeat bretonia so i had basically the entirety of that northern area um right down to where the wood isles were it took a very long time yeah something that uh, I just want to call out again. I'm sure we brought it up the first time we talked about this game, but going to those issues of theme, the artwork on the strategic campaign map is really impressive. Like it really, oh, like yeah. one of the things that helps make this game for me is the fact that like there are subtle like gradations of corruption and uh, I guess whatever you consider the opposite of corruption, <laughs> uh, to, but like, <laughs> like, where the like as the wood elves spread out yes they do have their like home territories that are like illuminated by their sort of sacred markers or whatever but 
as they expand beyond their like original borders, like that part of the map changes and starts looking like mm-hmm. more elfin and shit. Uh, as you know, vampire corruption starts to like creep in. Uh, you know, things just start to look a little more sinister. And if you don't like, one of the key things to notice is just like how does the map looking right now? And like once the edges of your territory start to look a little bit darker, a little bit murkier, you know that something's going on there. And then you then you you get the cue to like click on. You know what the actual stats are, like how, like what is happening here? What level of corruption are we headed for? But more importantly, it just further sells that idea that this is a world being like, uh, you know, ripped apart. And I just absolutely love how the map keeps evolving and changing and reflecting the story of your campaign. It changes the battle maps as well. Uh, you could be in a, a a normal kind of human land but it's been corrupted by chaos and you get into a fight and you see these giant shards like infernal shards erupting out of the ground and there's this like horrible supernatural red tint to everything uh, even if you're right in the heart of like Britonia or something uh, so it actually it doesn't just change from the campaign map it changes everywhere so there's a lot of different directions to attack this from, but I, I think now we should talk a little bit more about uh, the Norska and and the Beastmen, but like the very the various ways that chaos has changed and the new factions that have appeared and sort of play play around uh, with chaos. Because, like you said, TJ, the original game sort of had this world-ending event where you know the forces of chaos stirred from the chaos wastes. And a certain number of turns into the game, they'd send their first invasion. And if people hadn't prepared, uh, they would really wreak some havoc up in the north. And then there'd be stronger invasions later. And it was a real crapshoot for stall as to whether that invasion was actually as impressive as it sounded. Uh, I had some games where it did feel uh, pretty pretty staggering uh, as, as cast sort of flooded into the world. I also had campaigns where, like, literally... They didn't seem to go anywhere. Like, they just seemed to get bogged down really early in trying to churn through, like, a stronger-than-usual empire. And Chaos was kind of, you know, chased <laughs> chased down and, like, arrested by the police is kind of how it felt. <laughs> um now it's now the now there's the chaos plays a larger role in this game, but more importantly, it's not all down to the chaos warriors to sort of inject that world-destroying element uh, into the game. We, we talked a little bit on earlier shows about the Beastmen, I think, but uh, mm-hmm. let's let's talk in a little more detail about the Norska and, and how the North has changed and then how the various Chaos factions sort of interact with the strategic level. Well, I think the, the most important pass, patch note um, in terms of how Chaos approaches this campaign both as a player and both and when i see them like actually coming down and i'm defending against them is that the norskan tribes who are awakened or subjugated by chaos now become allies instead of or vassals instead of allies because that was a huge problem anytime you were trying to play chaos previously you'd awaken all these norskan tribes and they'd be your allies but they would not be each other's allies and so they would be constantly going to war and both sides are trying to like pull you in to be like, hey, we're the bear tribe and we're cool, but the wolf tribe is fucking with us. Can you come help us kill them instead of the other important things you have to do? Um, which kind of made sense 
thematically that there would be these, you know, internal conflicts between these Norskin tribes under the hordes of chaos. But the way it works now, they have much more of a united front in the north, which I think makes them scarier and makes them more effective. Um, and you add on to that things like the beast men where they're never really going to be gone. You can kill their last stack, but they re respawn every, you know, 50 turns or whatever. They're going to run off into the woods and, and lick their wounds. You can't ever fully get rid of them. Um, and I think it's it's served to make the world feel more dangerous. Like, you're never fully secure against the tide of chaos. It's like, I've got to finish my campaign objectives and then go knock Archaon out one more time and finish the campaign. Because if I just... If I keep trying to build and build and build, eventually, you know the the entropy will overwhelm my my realm um so i think that that it's become a much more interesting game in that respect and as playing one of those factions means that you can sort of you can enjoy the experience of playing as a chaos faction spreading chaos corruption and having these overtly evil goals but you also get to enjoy the empire management side of things and it's not just one giant invasion uh you've actually got to build up it's you're not necessarily a horde because the norskins actually have sort of empire building mechanics they can construct outposts and things like that on mm -hmm. any coastal city and capital right uh, and every settlement uh, every norskin settlement in the north as well so you can actually get a pretty big empire and, and there are not as many building options as you might see in in other more settled factions but it's certainly enough so that you can spend a bit of time fine-tuning your empire before you uh, embark on a, an epic war uh, so it just it adds a bit more variety because that's the thing about uh, the chaos warriors once you've played them once you've kind of experienced them in their entirety. Even though the world might change, their objective is still just move down south and kill everything. Uh, it's quite single-minded. Uh, but with the Norskins, you have alliances and confederations to make, there's trade. They're not, these aren't necessarily the best parts of Total War, but they just they, they tweak the pace a little bit so that it isn't just one giant war. They also get, um, in addition to being able to build like those coastal outposts, I also really like the fact that they they can capture certain faction capitals too. And if you do that, it like unlocks a new branch of the tech tree. So you've got these these big prizes on the map that you can kind of go for. You don't. It's not like Altdorf is the same as like the village of Crapsburg, like twenty <laughs> miles to the north or something like that. Like. There, there's there's these like nuggets just you know dotted throughout the map that like if i seize this i'm gonna gain a lot of benefits from it um which created some some of the more interesting moments of the norskin campaign i think where it's like i could i could overextend myself a little bit to go take the dwarfin capital which is going to give me like a unique building chain and all these cool extra techs that i can unlock or i think it's actually one extra tech per per capital you take but they're pretty powerful um but you know is that worth it it's it's a it's it's an interesting question you're drawn in a lot of different directions while playing is the 
Norskins, aren't you? Because yeah. it's not it's not just with the with the really awesome tech bonuses that you you get by conquering capitals. Um, you have all of these special like monster hunting quests in the um, monstrous arcanum or whatever it's called. Where those are really cool. They're fantastic. Yeah, so you're getting yeah, like a set I, piece I said battle. In, yeah, in my review, I said it's almost like doing an MMO raid boss encounter <laughs> with total war armies. It, it really is, and that each. <laughs> Uh, battle against one of these monsters and they come complete with an army it's not just an individual monster and it comes at the end of a, of a quest chain that takes you quite to quite distant areas but also some of the early ones are, are pretty close by to where you'll probably be anyway um, and you might have to fight like two Saigar brothers who come appear at different times so they're like scripted battles as well um, or a giant frost worm that can summon blizzards that freeze your troops uh, and once you win them you can unlock new units um, they're like uh, what are they called the legions of renown or something like that oh yeah renowned regiments yeah that's yeah. it so you get like another renowned regiment uh when you un uh, when you kill like the frost worm or something like that it's like a special frost worm a named one with with extra abilities and hit points uh and then you also get gear that helps you make your your leader units incredibly powerful even someone i mean so you've got throg and you've got is it wolfgar I think is the other guy. Wolfric. Yeah, that's it. Throg is is a giant um, mucus spewing troll, and he's he's pretty tanky, and he, he's got some uh, pretty decent sort of governor abilities as well. Um, but his human colleague is um, is a little bit kind of par for the course, I guess. He's not. Yeah, he's. I think he's one of the most underpowered melee lords in the game right now. Yeah, actually. But if you get him on a mammoth, and then. Uh, get him the like purple legendary gear from these monster hunts you end up with still a very powerful leader um i mean i don't think he got defeated once in my game uh even though he was definitely underwhelming compared to to other leaders we've we've played with um and you can unlock a, a third special one by uh and this is another example of the game pulling you in these different directions by worshiping or swearing fealty to a specific uh, norskin deity um, and if you pick, I think it's the crow, you get a, a special champion lord or legendary lord to use, uh, and he's he's quite a badass. Yeah, no that that whole system was really cool because I was each each of the four chaos gods has some very cool benefits, but I you you can only really you can only mathematically please three of them. And really, if you want to finish that campaign in less than like 600 turns, <laughs> the most you can dip into is two. So like I got I got enough down the crow path that I could get the um, replenishment bonus, which I feel like is the uber stat in Total War Warhammer. Um, and then I, I ended up finishing the campaign with the hound. Um, yeah, that's what that I was, did, that, too, because you get the hell cannon, yeah. the special hell cannon. Yeah, right. And since Norska doesn't really have good artillery, have that's any just artillery, like, really, does it? Yeah, it's it's giving you giving you the one unit that you need to cover your existing weaknesses, which is uh, which is pretty awesome. Um, now, I so what happens when you do commit to one god? Do the other gods come and punish you? 
Yeah, they, you basically yeah they they each have, send a champion right. that you have to fight. Yeah, is that sort of like one of those raid battles? Is it sort of like a challenge, but now it's a champion from a god? So basically, what happens is it happens like all at once. The other gods send their champions, and they just sort of march in a straight line right towards your main leader for a final battle. Um, they're actually pretty easy, or they were. I think when I'd already built up my force quite. Uh, considerably by the time they arrived um but it's they're 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 pretty simple battles they're not actually set piece battles um i think they can even be like auto resolved i'm not sure though i had trouble i had trouble with the i can't remember if it was zinch or nurgle it's it's there's one specific champion that has like a ton of um they basically use the the warriors of chaos army lists and there was one that had like a whole bunch of abominations in his army, like the mutated chaos dudes that that one was actually pretty difficult. But yeah, the, the other two I didn't have that much trouble with. And then you have like a sort of final end game uh, chaos battle before the, the actual chaos invasion. So it's part of your Norskin storyline. Uh, and that that one is... The, the one that was quite tough because all of a sudden uh, Norskin and Beastmen reinforcements were appearing because obviously yeah. all the Chaos worshippers uniting. Um, luckily, I had some. I had like something like four mammoths. <laughs> so yeah, well, they put you up problems. on. They put you on like your starting area has that like little ledge around it, and that's basically what I did. Is I just camped up there uh, with with my Hell Cannon from from uh, Papa Corn. <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah um so I, I think that i think the norska are really interesting just as a more than any other faction i think it, it does force lots of little decisions upon you and lots of like kind of painful trade-offs right like it all like at least in my like what i've played of them it kind of feels like Everyone else gets to build these really large, wide bases of support and then sort of scaffold up. But, like, the Norska are kind of prohibited from doing that for a couple reasons. Like, I haven't really figured out how to generate much income for myself. Like, I generate oh, man. a little... you got to just I have to sack everything. Yeah. Sack, sack, sack. It doesn't matter if you're, like... If yeah. it says, like, next turn you're going to lose, like, 7,000 gold. Who cares? Because you have... 200,000 gold in reserve. Um, as long as there are targets, you just have to keep going. That's why you have to get your second army up so quickly and just like deal with the fact that you're going to, for the rest of the game, be losing money. But that's the dynamic that like is really uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me, uh, in part because I'm a freelancer and I'm obsessed with uh, you know, <laughs> income versus out, out, outflow. Uh, but, but also just because of... Um, like because you're so dependent on that sacking income, there have been a lot of times where I'm like, I guess we uh, have to keep attacking now. Boy, I sure wish we could we could sort of like sit back and replenish uh, for a couple turns and and maybe fend off uh, this relief force coming up from the empire. But oh well, uh, you know, yeah. keep marching inland uh, basically. And, and and so it's like with the Norska, I always feel 
strategically vulnerable because I can't just like fall back to my strongholds and like let things work work themselves out. Like I have to keep I have to keep advancing in some direction, and that means I have to make probably make a new enemy, uh, one more enemy than I than I really am comfortable fighting. And then the other aspect of this is they just are not my kind of army. Like they're an interesting army, but I am very much like. I love the dwarves. Uh, I'm happy with the Empire too, but like I'm very much a. I like an army that just like draws itself up in nice, tidy formations. Uh, <laughs> you know, set the set the artillery and the gunners up uh, with with good lines of sight, and just mow people down. Right. That's that's my preferred. Like I like an army that functions like a large meat grinder, <laughs> and that's not really the Norska. They just charge in. Willy nilly, they're, and just go they're absolutely shit. my kind of army. Yeah. They're, they're fantastic. It, it's just... select three regiments and then right click on whatever needs to die and it's... just keep doing that throughout the battle. It's exciting, but it's really simple. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The thing is, there they do have weaknesses that you have to shore up. The fact is that they've got no real solid range units, and um, so they're going to be peppered by archers quite a lot as well. And so you need to get, I think it's the Fermier have a sort of like anti-range defense thing. Yeah. So you, uh-huh. you just have to be actually like really, even though all of these units seem just like hyper aggressive, you've got to pick ones with decent bonuses. Um, and it can be in the early game when you've not even unlocked the armored marauders. So you've just got the sort of berserker and half naked dudes. Um, you can get in some difficult situations. Luckily, you're mostly just fighting those types of guys at first as well, because you're trying to unify the, the Norskin tribes. Uh, but yeah, they, they do have some pretty major weaknesses and it isn't really until I think you get to the monsters Um that they start to feel like really tough because you get manticores and you get frost worms and giants and various types of trolls and werewolves and they're, they're skin, gr- skin wolves are fantastic. They're yeah. horrifying. They're, they're as they're <laughs> as fast as cavalry and they have they have a bonus versus large, so they usually win one on one versus cavalry. Is their terror and effect amplified as well? I think they do. They I have think a terror effect. I think at least they have, one of the type. I think it might fear. be a regiment of renown or something that has a terror effect. Yeah. Uh huh. And all the mammoths yeah, do, I, and rightly so. Yeah. Like their their only weakness is like missiles and spearmen. Like because cavalry get they take cavalry apart. So I didn't I didn't build any cavalry the entire entirety of my Norskin campaign like i had a, it's all missile cavalry that the marauders have anyway it's not that yeah great i i had a I had a mammoth with the war shrine on it because that basically makes your berserkers practically unbreakable like they'll it's they would crazy oftentimes would fight till the last man and then i i used skin wolves as like a replacement for cavalry um but the other thing you were saying about uniting the Norskin tribes which i think is another very cool aspect oh, yeah, of this. their early game is that if, if you defeat the leader of an enemy faction, they will immediately accept confederation with you on the next turn. It's all about so strength, can, showing strength. Yeah, exactly. So you can unite all of Norska in like 30 turns if you know what you're doing, which is pretty cool. And pretty quickly get the other leader on your side as well by defeating him. So you right. depends who you picked. So in, in my uh, game, I defeated what is it the winter something tribe and that's throg 
Um, uh-huh. And then you're able to to field him, and he's like arguably a much better leader unit as well. Something else I enjoy about that early game is that, you know, TJ, you mentioned earlier that like replenishment is like one of the god stats of of total of total Warhammer, and and I totally agree. Which also at times means that it can pay to be a little conservative in, in total war because if you can't if you can't if you can win the battle but not sustain an offensive, then you probably like end up. With, with kind of a null result. What I kind of dig about this early game is that you can have odds that are even or even slightly against you, and you're still kind of encouraged to take a flyer at it because this is the battle. Like, it doesn't matter if you only have, like, 20 guys walk off that battlefield. If you yeah. take the enemy general's head, you've won the war and you've conquered that tribe. And that is a really cool and thematic, uh, th- thematically intense feeling, right? Where well, like, and the, yeah, and, and the way that the Norskin units work, or at least most of them, is they're very similar to the Beastmen in that they have these huge melee bonuses until they start to waver. So even on a tactical level, if you take out their general, and you know they get that like thirty seconds of like, oh crap, the general's dead, where you can start a chain route. There's a pretty good chance that that you're going to win the battle on a tactical level, and then that's going to translate out onto the strategic level too, because they're going to confederate with you. So, so it's you know all about these heroes, basically. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a really fascinatingly intricate faction design uh, that the Norska have, and kind of does make some of the earlier factions, I I can understand why they felt moved to do something like Foundation, because to an extent now you go back to some of the other factions, and like, there's just not nearly as much going on, uh, with them, which, you know, makes sense for some of these empires, but also it means that you don't quite have, you know, as interesting turn-to-turn, uh, moments, moments on the strategic level. As far as like where this game is at now, the other thing I'm really enjoying is that the factions now match up in such interesting and different ways and like changing tactics and even to an extent like unit lineups, depending on who you're fighting, uh, really seems to be the order of the day in a way it wasn't necessarily at launch. Like, for instance, my first battles with the Beastmen uh, were very, very different than my fights against other factions. Like, again, so I was sort of running pretty basic dwarven armies, and I'd been prepared for, like, you know, long lines of battle, and as long as the line held, uh, you know, my ranged units would eventually do the damage, whatever. And the Beastmen just kind of shattered those lines. Like, it, like the, the lines just didn't hold, and so my tactics kind of fell apart because I didn't have... I didn't have the stopping power to deal with the units the Beastmen were fielding, and so I, I was sort of forced to, like, approach those battles in much more of a, you know, we are we are attacking... You know, we're, we're basically on a monster hunt uh, for these battles. Yeah. The, the vanilla the- factions were kind of set up to have like a, a hook, a sort of campaign hook, and then something they were maybe good at and something they were missing in battle. So, for instance, I think it's like the vampire counts don't have archer units and things like that. 
But the DLC factions, instead of just having a hook and maybe a couple of differences in the battle, they felt like they were playing in uh, almost a different game. Um, one that was still familiar, and so it doesn't feel like the factions don't work against each other together in, in interesting ways. Uh, but there was just so many different layers, and Creative Assembly's DLC team really kind of deconstructed what a Total War faction should be. Um, and it's like, I, I, I think it's made this uh, Warhammer the, the best Total War game. Uh, oh, yeah. But by far. And, and as great as the, as, or as good as the vanilla game was, it's, it's largely thanks to the DLC effort. Because each one, as I felt uh, after the, the Warriors of Chaos, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's down to things like you know, that there are you you do have armies like Empire and Dwarves that fight by you know doing what Rob said, where you draw up into nice lines and try to, you know, maintain cohesion, but then, you know, Wood Elves and and Beastmen, they're very much about constant movement, constantly adapting to the terrain, um, you know, knowing knowing when to to skirmish when to stand your ground i mean i've I've won some absurd battles as the wood elves just because their top tier archers can move and shoot at the same time and you can actually create like a situation where you have all of these ar archers being carefully skirmished to create a horseshoe around the army that's attacking you and then you like you know swoop in with eagles or something oh, to god to get the guys in the back and they're surrounded on all sides by archers who are constantly falling back while still shooting them and, and, you know, just take apart an army that's twice as large. If you got the ammo bonuses for your heroes, which you absolutely should be doing if you're playing wood elves, because if they run out of ammo, they're dead. There's no um, other, which again, is <laughs> yeah, just another interesting part of that faction. It's like, okay, yeah. We have to win this battle before our archers run out of ammo or we are completely screwed. <laughs> but in the history of Total War, there's never been a faction anything like the Wood Elves. Um, and even with uh, Warhammer's exotic factions, they still stand out as really unusual. Um, the amount of micromanagement they require is um, its a bit beyond me. But it, they, I think until the Norskins, they were definitely my favorite faction uh, though i think the norskins are just they're as elaborate but uh considerably easier to play yeah well there's no there's no historical equivalent to the doctrine of uh no plan survives first contact with a minotaur <laughs> so, so this is the first time they've ever been able to really indulge in that so so i think one of the things that is really making this work is that like to a degree Warhammer, because it's, you know, historically flavored in some ways, but also has, like, these fantasy races that allow you to, like, mix and match different uh, sort of abilities. It's it's able to, like, with these new factions, it's really able to fully div divorce itself from a single historical setting in a way that's really, really rewarding in a Total War game. Uh, I think... Maybe my favorite game outside of uh, outside of this one is uh, the Fall of the Samurai expansion for for Shogun Two, because it has a similar thing going where you where you do have some traditional you know samurai units and then you have sort of some intermediate uh, gunpowder age units and then you have some like you know pretty 
pretty impressive, like late 19th, 19th century uh, units available in, in Fall of the Samurai. And so you have these, this weird uh, confluence of weapons and tactics from completely different eras and contexts happening on the battlefield. Total Warhammer, you know, cranks that all the way. And mm-hmm. it creates these really interesting ju- juxtapositions where, like, you couldn't really have, uh, you know, the Prussian army of Empire Total War go up against, like, a traditional Viking faction uh, yeah. in, from medieval. In Total Warhammer, that absolutely happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's something uh-huh. that happens, like, routinely. And <laughs> so you end, up the, you end up with these really interesting, like, what-if encounters where it's like, okay, so, you know, you're basically, you're basically running a dwarf army that fights, like, a, an 18th century British army, with the exception yep. of attack helicopters. Uh, <laughs> so an 18th century British army, except they have attack helicopters. But unfortunately, they're going up against, uh, like, hell Vikings uh, <laughs> that, that, that yeah. like, terrify, that have a literal terror effect and, shat, like, shatter troops will uh, on the battlefield. Plus, they have like trolls, trolls and stuff. And yeah, how is that going to play out? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I even called that out in my original review of Total Warhammer. Is like I love this game because it lets me final an- finally answer the question: is like who would win between an army of Urukai and a you know Gustavian pike and shot formation from the Hundred Years War? Like it or the God, organ the guns are so good. War, yeah. By the way, it's just. Yeah, let's hear oh, yeah. it for organ guns. Holy shit! Oh yeah, <laughs> um, like I think that's the other reason I really love playing the dwarves is like there are so many flavors of just like brutal machinery, uh, just like wipe great holes in enemy formations. It's really impressive, and like you, you let the, you give those organ guns a good line of fire. Uh, they will they will work wonders uh, on infantry. But again, like that's all well and good. Until the Norskins like break those lines or work their way around the flanks and into the backfield, and then the entire game flips. Yeah. Um, and I really, I, I really love that aspect of it, where these factions don't feel like just different skins on old mechanics. They really do feel like completely different eras. To, to you know, even including like the Wood Elves like guerrilla tactics. I, I think you could get the the Norskin uh, DLC and maybe only play it once, but you're still getting this additional faction that's doing new and interesting things in your campaign, even if they're an adversary. Um, every new faction just adds so much to the game, even if you're fighting them rather than playing as them. Oh, yeah. that's And that's why I'm I'm so excited to see this like combined map yeah. for Warhammer 1 and Warhammer 2, because there could be things going on in this whole other world that you don't even really know about, and then all of a sudden the you know the dark elf black arcs show up on your shores, and you're like, oh wow, maybe I should have been paying attention to that. Yeah, so that's that's something that I I was kind of reminded of when Rob, when you were talking about the Fall of the Samurai expansion for Shogun Two, because one of the the cool things about that is you can do these kind of coastal bombardments in the middle of battles and stuff, um, and we we haven't really had that in Warhammer, but that's coming with the with the arc. They're basically just going to be these floating cities on the coast that can bombard during battle and stuff like that, um, which just sounds fantastic. 
and and uh, it it doesn't matter like where you begin in the this kind of I don't know what ca- they're calling it the mega campaign or something. Uh, you'll just be able to sail over to the other continent and start working away there. Um, and there's going to be I think vanilla races in the new world as well. So you'll have dwarfs and vampires and things like well, that. that. See, that's the other thing that's like really clever with how they've designed some of these later DLC factions is they've they've kind of designed two factions. Like, obviously, if you're the player, you have access to everything. But I know specifically there's a faction in the um, kind of western half of the map, like the New World, that's basically just all the forest spirit units from the Wood Elf roster, and they're kind of their own thing. And, you know, you could have a faction that's like just the monster side of the Norska roster that has like all the trolls and the Famir and stuff like they've they've built in these ways to create these interesting non-player factions that have distinct rosters that are smaller than what a player has access to but it makes sense for them to be this you know this minor player on the campaign map that's like oh yeah it's it's just a settlement of like dryads and stuff and as they continue to expand on the number of entities, the number of monsters that exist across all these army rosters, I think they they would do well to continue to create these interesting minor factions to contend with using that either use part of a roster or even like a mix and match kind of strategy. I'm really excited about what the sequel is going to bring and so far everything i've seen has been really promising but my fear is that this is literally the opposite of what typically creative assembly are good at um in that it is warhammer 2 and then when you actually combine them in this mega campaign it's the most ambitious thing they've done uh and since empire yeah since empire which was the biggest flop well it's it's, in terms of quality it's even more ambitious because it's one big combined map. Yeah. You're not going to be like switching between theaters. Well, this is weird. Uh, it's a different like... map, though. They've they've changed, so it's not going to be the old world as we see it in Warhammer One and the new world as we see it in Warhammer Two, because they are separate. That's the the Warhammer One Grand Campaign, the Warhammer Two Vortex Campaign, and there's going to be a mega one that combines them, but it does change their positions of things a little bit. Is that going to be kind it of changes... a small world edition of the Warhammer? No, it's so no because because uh, yeah, it's still I, be I read huge. an interview with I've read an interview with Al Bickham where he specifically addressed this. So the old the 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 combined map is based on the old world campaign map. All the stuff that's in the old world campaign right now is going to be unchanged, but like the Southlands and Lustria and all the stuff from the Vortex campaign is going to be a slightly shrunken, slightly warped version of that. So the map we're used to now in Total War Warhammer 1 will all still be there, but the stuff they're adding is going to be a slightly smaller version than what you're going to be playing on in the Vortex campaign I mean, in Warhammer I've seen 2. the map, and it's still gargantuan. Oh yeah, uh, it's gigantic. It's re- yeah. There's going to be no reason for complaint, in, at least in terms of scope or, or the size of the map um because it is just stupidly ginormous uh but yeah what what my worry is having seen a lot of the previews and they they just released some campaign previews for for total war warhammer 2 so we can actually kind of talk about some of this stuff now is like you said creative assembly has done really well when they've taken a smaller focus i think the the dlc campaigns the smaller 
DLC campaigns that came out for Rome 2 were so much better than the grand campaign for Rome 2. Um, and they're, they're talking about all this stuff from the Vortex campaign. It's like, oh, yeah, Dark Elves have this slave mechanic and like all these factions are going to be able to like conduct rituals that give them campaign bonuses for certain amounts of time. And I'm like, are are we getting that in the mega campaign? And like, are the are the old factions going to get a ritual system oh, yeah, the, the, or is this all going to be separate. stuff that's going to be? That's specific yeah, like locked to the vortex. Away in the vortex. Yes. Yeah. So when you play the mega campaign, the, all the vortex stuff has been tossed so, aside. But yeah. it's still. But the thing is, even outside of these uh, vortex abilities, it's like. So I've played the Skaven pretty. I played them for quite a few hours, and the other ones I've played in, in battles. Um, but it feels like these rituals and rites and the whole vortex scenario is on top of the level of, of like elaborate mechanics that you would expect from the DLC factions. From what I've seen, obviously, to actually know exactly, you'd have to spend well, a lot more than a few hours with them. But it doesn't well, feel then, like they've take, they're going to be taking anything away. It's that they're going to be adding something, and then in the mega campaign, then they'll take it away. But you'll still have this sort of even playing field between the original and the new uh, factions. Well, then, I mean, there's there's the Vortex stuff, but then there's also, like, you know, the the Skaven, like, they're, they're, like, campaign buffs they can activate with Warpstone and, like, the Dark Elves with, like, the Slave mechanic, which is, at least in what I've seen of the Vortex campaign, that's the only way to get Black Arcs. So I'm like, are they going to exclude Black Arcs from the Grand I'm pretty campaign? sure like, they're though? not. And I think, because okay. the Warpstones, though, in, the, in terms of the Skaven stuff is... That's their ritual currency, which is used uh -huh. to control the vortex and do these rites. So I'm not sure if like warp stones would be in the this mega campaign. But then, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, not, I'm just that's the one thing that they've they've not given a great amount of detail on is is how the mega campaign is going to work because it's not even going to be there at launch. It's going to be like a post-launch update right, quite soon right. after. Um, but stripping away all the Vortex stuff, they do seem quite full-featured and interesting. Like, the Skaven have a lot of weird things, like that they uh, their settlements appear as just ruins, not even settlements, so they're actually hidden. Um, and they have internal conflicts, because they have, like, a loyalty mechanic. Um, so yeah. Wait, so you could be stumbling into, like, densely populated defended Skaven areas and not know it? Right. Yeah, you could be like, oh, oh yeah, la, la, that, let's well, have an adventure then, and go to the, these ruins and maybe we'll get a prize. Oh, bollocks, it's a warren filled with Skaven. <laughs> so you can't see, you the don't other, can't see their armies or their defenses if they're hidden in their cities. The other interesting thing is that they're, they're, they have, they're bringing a new form of corruption. So we're going to have chaos corruption, oh, yeah, vampire Skaven corruption, corruption, and Skaven corruption Which now. Sucks. But the thing is, <laughs> the Skaven corruption hurts them too. <laughs> so like, as they build up, they're not only making things worse for everyone else, they're making things worse for themselves. Which is kind of an interesting commentary on like industrialization <laughs> through the through the lens of these weird rat men that that just pollute everything they touch, which I think is kind of interesting. Because the thing is, they have so. an insatiable hunger, so they're so they're driven by food. So you've always got to make sure that the rats are well fed, even to the point where one of their post battle options is eat cat 
captives. Um, yep. So you need to keep them fed because the more the better fed they are, the more they're going to the, the higher their morale is going to be, and the more damage they're going to be able to do in battle. But then everywhere they spread they spread skaven corruption which reduces their public order screws all of that up and it so you could end up with this starving very angry skaven army that doesn't like you very much but the skaven corruption does benefit them in other ways so you can summon skavens that uh, spread out from like these warrens underneath battlefields and then just like so you can attack pesky archers they don't know what's happening these rats just appear from from their feet um and you get more tight more opportunities to use that the more corruption that you have so it's this kind of balancing act of keeping them well fed and keeping them happy <laughs> and spreading corruption but not too much and it's yeah it's a lot to take in I, sounds I, uh norska-esque in some ways there's well that's the thing that's kind of interesting is everything i've seen reminds me not of the vanilla factions but the dlc factions yeah um, so i think they've taken a lot from the because it's a separate team the, the dlc team is is a separate um i mean it's the same studio but it's a it's a different group of people uh so they they've drawn a lot from that um but the the skaven are the only ones that i've been able to play in in the actual campaign but they are very, very interesting and, and quite challenging. So one thing I, I will say, though, I wish terrain felt a little more interesting, by and large, across Total War Warhammer. Like, part yeah. of it is always going to be nostalgic for the ridiculous mountain battles of, like, <laughs> Shogun or Medieval. <laughs> Where you're basically uh, like, standing on, like, of this vertical slope. <laughs> Yeah, like like basically like somebody somebody creative assembly like saw Ron and was like, <laughs> What if we put armies up there? And like that's kind of the game. Uh and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it also me- makes for a lot of dramatic encounters. A lot of okay, lopsided encounters too, but still like it's fun to play with that kind of terrain in uh in Shogun, but I don't even need it to be that. I don't even need it to be that dramatic. What I'm not wild about is that in in Total Warhammer, it definitely feels like every battlefield is a pretty flat plane. Like, occasionally, maybe the, the entire plane is tilted one direction. Maybe there's, like, a tiny little ridge. But, like, I get really unreasonably excited whenever there's, like, actually a couple ridges on a map or something. Like, a couple meaningful terrain features. Like, oh, there's, there's a hill that's sort of split in two by a forest amazing that's really different uh because like for the most part battle after battle is on these pretty like clear planes and then occasionally have a battle that takes place like underground but it's it's literally a hallway yeah yeah and it's like Mm -hmm. well that's probably not as different as you imagine it to be because (laughs) like there's just a flattening that happens across across this game and it it does bother me a little bit because one of the things i love about total war is that when for like one of the things I love about this series is that a big part of it was about using terrain and reading terrain and leveraging that to your advantage. Now it sort of seems like they've tried to take terrain out of the picture as much as possible and turned it into a army versus army balancing act, which is maybe very Warhammer, right? Maybe that's how like that's how these factions balance against each other, uh, and you don't want to inject too many complicating factors in the middle of that. But for me playing it, 
it does sort of mean that like while I have to consider the enemy strengths and my strengths and how we're composed, the thing I don't have to worry too much about is like using the actual battlefield itself. And that's sort of a, um, a pretty major part of a great total war game for me that is just kind of absent here. So one of the uh, kind of main quest battle type things that Creative Assembly have allowed people to play in two is this uh, lizard man yeah, versus high that. elf battle. Yeah. So that's uh, still... Are you guys talking about the Battle of the Fallen Gates? Battle of the Fallen Gates? Battle of the Fallen Gates? <laughs> so um, that's, that's become a meme now because they talk about it every single stream. Right. But yeah, so that yeah. one has... That's a pretty interesting battlefield uh, where you've got choke points and then this huge slope where you've got elven archers on top and actually yeah. that, the geography of, of that battlefield actually does uh, put the lizard man at a disadvantage. Uh, so, but that's a sort of scripted set. Yeah, that's a set battle. piece battle. Exactly. Yeah, so like... it's, I think it might be. Yeah, I don't. I, I certainly, from what I've seen so far, the battlefields into just the random battles on the campaign, um, they look great. But the geography of the battlefields tends to skew towards the flat, bunch of trees to hide behind, and some. There's still elevation, but it's not dramatic. Uh, but again, I've I've only played in like one region, so and it was a, it looked like a pretty flat, chilled out region as well. You know what's it's what's really interesting that I've I've realized about terrain vis a vis how armies are set up in Total War. It's like it it almost always makes it impossible, especially on these flatter maps, to have like a line of battle that can't be easily flanked. Like, I think that's part of why, why I like the maps that have dramatic elevation changes or have dramatic, uh, you know, cliffs or like hard movement blockers. Or it's like because choke points, because that's yeah, some of like the best you, battles are on like bridges or on much narrower kind right. of hallways. Because you're always going to be limited to like 5,000 troops and the battlefields are so big that, you know, 5,000 troops can't really stretch across it. So, you you know, if you want to play like a play style, like I was saying, the orcs against the the Gustavian pike and shot formation, like you need to you need to find somewhere that you can actually set up your line that they're not just going to be able to get around it super easily. And terrain yeah, think- pretty important in actual warhammer as well isn't it yeah oh, i mean yeah. You, i mean obviously this is not uh an approximation of, of a warhammer match it's very different it's total war with warhammer themes and units but i i think that that's something they could definitely draw and just maybe make certain maps a bit more cluttered uh perhaps well and i that- wonder if they're kind of hiding from their ai right like you in- introduce terrain and you're going to introduce the capacity for the AI to pick the steepest face of a hill to, mm. to assault upwards. And then everyone's going to be saying, well, the AI is terrible, um, yeah. which is certainly what I would be doing. <laughs> so <laughs> you, know, you make like, a very good point. If you look, because if you look at what the AI is doing in Total War, like they've sort of set up a situation where the AI can, can only be so bad. 
right? Like, all it has to do <laughs> is figure out roughly wh- what direction you're facing. It pivots its formation to face you, and then it walks at you, and you guys yep. see what happens. And, like, that's going to be rewarding and satisfying, and maybe you'll get flanked, but it's not like the AI is doing a clever flanking maneuver. It probably just has faster units than you, and just, like, walks around you, and it's your, it's your yep. ranged units. That's all it's doing. If you introduce terrain... Uh, then the AI is probably going to make a hash of it. That said, I kind of don't mind kicking the crap out of the AI on the battlefield using uh, clever terrain. And occasionally you'd, you'd find yourself in weird situations because like terrain would be so idiosyncratic that you would end up in a formation that you weren't super comfortable with, but like was dictated by the terrain, right? So like you needed to, you needed to anchor your line on a hill, but then there was a steep drop off and you just had to leave a bunch of your forces like exposed in basically a crater to guard that flank. Let's see how that turns out. <laughs> uh, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you'd sort of labor before each battle, figuring out like what the flow of the battlefield would look like. Now it's, it's very much like, all right, just where do you want to park your troops? Let's, you know, let's, let's get this rolling. It's not, it's not, it's not a game breaker. Obviously I've had a great deal of fun, but like, one of the things I've definitely noticed is that I never have trouble finding an easy place to situate a pretty a pretty orderly line of battle, right? Like, there's never a moment where I'm like, oh, that's mm-hmm. not going to work here because the, the terrain doesn't allow it. The terrain's always going to allow the most vanilla tactics possible. It's like when, well, I think it was one of the last battles in my Norskin game where... I had the the Hell Cannon, the, the special renowned Hell Cannon, and I just wheeled it. It was on a sort of bluff overlooking the, the battlefield, and I just slowly wheeled it around behind the other Chaos Army. And other units just kind of ignored it, just marched past it. So now I've got a Hell Cannon right behind them. It's taking out their strongest units, and it's it's not an ordinary hell cannon either, um, and it was just devastating. And like you really could have just looked behind you and dealt with that. Um, so I think if if they created more elaborate geography, maybe they would have to do a sort of a significant AI overhaul. But then maybe the answer then is to just do more of these set piece battles where they control the the make up the composition of the enemy that you're facing um, and they don't have to worry about unforeseen consequences. Yeah, well, and the, the other thing is they really, the battle map designers in, in Warhammer are really in love with, like, trees and, like, these <laughs> soft line-of-sight blockers breaking up the battlefield, which is really interesting in multiplayer because you can play all kinds of these mind games with tree lines and line-of-sight, but... Imagine not the, having the that and being and playing with the wood elves. Imagine if the, you yeah. you need that especially. But then, the but then the thing is like the AI isn't they aren't really they're not smart enough to fool you with it and they're also not sophisticated enough to be fooled by it. <laughs> like you can't you can't really set up a mind game and like trick the AI into thinking your whole army is one place where it's actually not because they have kind of a set routine of like we're going to go poke some cavalry into the trees until we find out where your forces are if we can't see them. And then on the same, on the other end, it's like if you're on a heavily forested map, it's pretty easy once you've played a couple dozen of those to figure out where specific factions are going to hide their units in relation to what they're showing you. Whereas when you're 
when you're playing against another human maps like that work really well because there's all kinds of like reverse psychology and double triple reverse psychology that go can go on but against the ai i feel like these heavily forested maps don't present the tactical challenge that they're meant to most of the time or the tactical opportunities for that matter so that's the, the caveat i think with total war warhammer is that uh, and as much as, it, as it's one of the best, if not the best, uh, Total War game, it still retains a lot of the problems that its predecessors have had, including, you know, questionable AI, uh, very lackluster diplomacy, and that sort of moment that happens in so many games where you just, all you've got left to do is is just sweep through your enemies and finish them off, and it kind of feels like the game's already ended before it actually has, um, which, to be fair, doesn't happen nearly as much now in Warhammer as, as it used to or happen in previous games. But yeah, still a lot of the kind of the issues that Total War has always had remain. Yeah, I think they've just they they found a a setting and an approach that mitigates a lot of those issues. Yeah. Uh and it definitely helps that like with with like Rome 2 you had such a sweep of history that like you could really see the AI just completely like come undone, right? Like just the the strategic like people would not forge meaningful empires. Uh, you know, people would be exchanging the same, you know, half dozen cities for a millennia if you'd let them. Um, here, it, it sort of feels like the K, like the chaos allies, the beastmen, and, and Norska are going to show up. They're either, going to, they're either going to burn a few empires down or those empires are going to hold in there and get stronger. Uh, and then there's going to be a few big clashes uh, you know, for, for the end game events. And then the game will have the good grace to end. Um, and, and you'll, you'll mm-hmm. have had a Warhammer experience. And mind you, you might decide the game has ended before it actually has, uh, which I think is something I find mm-hmm. I do an awful lot, where I'm like, well... You know, Arche- Archeon's dead. Uh, he died in auto resolve battle again. So I guess <laughs> I guess we'll move on. <laughs> That's the other thing, man. Your your end game big bad should I I don't know maybe be adjustable or something like if if Archeon is or is that his name right? Yeah, yeah. The uh-huh. Archeon, the ever chosen. Yeah. If if the ever chosen put a glass if his kryptonite name. is two full stack armies, yeah, like uh-huh. then how badass can he really be? Like it doesn't, it, you know, it, everything is set up to be like, oh man, how are we going to stop this? Like it, it, like you want it to feel like ogre, right? Where there's this like this uh-huh. unstoppable <laughs> force just like crawling across the map, and instead it's like, all right, I'm going to throw a couple dwarves at you and see what happens. It's like, well, Archeon's <laughs> dead, and I'm like. All yeah, right, uh-huh. I guess I guess we'll mop up again, and then you put the rest of the chaos forces under arrest, send, send them to jail, <laughs> give them community I, I service. Love, <laughs> I love the end set piece battles that they they did for the beastmen and the wood elves. I feel like everybody should have yeah. one of those. Like you you defeat Archaon in like a normal battle. You can auto resolve it if you want if you've got enough troops for that, and then you know we see a cutscene where like. He gets up out of the ashes and like slams his sword into the ground and is like, all right, now the real shit. And then like he gets, you know, his own quest battle where you have to fight against all these waves of chaos reinforcements to actually win the campaign. 
Like, I feel like the, the ending is anticlimactic for so many of the factions. It would be nice, too, if... Yeah, it'd be nice if there were actually, like... <laughs> sort of the, the Battle Brothers approach of, like, there being different endgame apocalypses uh, that, could, that could come into play. Like, there have been some games where... Like, Total Warhammer's trying to say, like, oh, no, here comes chaos. And I'm looking at the map being like, yeah, okay, we'll deal with chaos in a minute. But have you seen this vampire infestation? Like, the world <laughs> is, like, covered in, like, vampiric corruption. The end times are here. Like, we should, like, you know, and, and that would be an easy example of a place where, like, you could have a drastically different end game. Where, where now, like, oh, like, the undead are taking over the world and we're going to have some endgame events around that they're going to play off whoever is currently strongest in this world uh it'd be nice if chaos felt a little bit more supercharged by what their advanced forces the norska and the beastmen have have kind of managed to accomplish over the course of the game as opposed to it's still kind of feeling like um the chaos invasion from the chaos wastes is a little bit out of context or orthogonal to how the rest of these these factions are are operating, um, yeah, it's it's a small it's a small thing. It's it's like kind of a wish list item for maybe a future future total Warhammer. But like, there are so many different ways for the end game to shape up now, and then it kind of tries to do the it kind of does a telltale games thing where it's like, okay, and now back to the main plot. Here comes chaos again. <laughs> so I think that's what I like about the idea of the Vortex campaign. While it's not like a different campaign forever, it's the same sort of objective. Um, the way that each faction can approach this uh, race for power is, is quite different. And you can have a huge empire that's been quite successful but has not been really engaging with with the Vortex stuff or collecting sort of Vortex or ritual currency. And then you can have a much smaller empire that suddenly kind of steals victory um, from the larger one's grasp because it's been focusing on a different thing. So it's not all about being the biggest, toughest empire. Uh, there are like actual objectives that each each faction needs to to achieve. I'm really wondering... Because they have said this is a part, like this is a trilogy. Yeah, I'm really wondering what th part three looks like. Because like now you're gonna have the two worlds. You have the vortex campaign. You'll have the, the the mega campaign. You'll have an old world. What's left to do at that point? Like unless the, unless secretly Total War three, we made the mega campaign good this time, guys. <laughs> like unless they're already basically like drawing a line yeah. through the mega campaign. Well, we're like this is gonna suck, right? Yeah, it's gonna suck. All right, well, they have, the they have so it. much. They have so much to draw from. And I mean, I think the Norsk the Norskins don't even exist anymore in Warhammer, do they? Um, it's like well, they were. Um, they were like a. They were an option you could take in in like the eighth edition for Chaos Warriors. Yeah. So, but they never actually had their own army book. So, so we have expanded out now to factions that don't have an army book in the tabletop can be in the game so i think we're gonna see like a lot of like surprising factions uh and yeah i don't i th i think is it is it south they're gonna go or something for for three well there's still i i, I would bet I would bet just about anything that the first DLC faction for Warhammer 2 is going to be the Tomb Kings. Right, yeah. Because they're down in, like, the Egypt-type yeah. area. and they've, area. they've got a sort of... Doesn't Warhammer have a sort of Far East faction yes. as well? Yeah, like, this whole empire going on over there? 
there's still like ogre kingdoms to do. There's still chaos dwarves, and they're all off kind of like east of where the current grand campaign map. Yeah, three might ends. be like really focused on chaos um, again. Then like the actual all the other yeah. chaos factions. I think they they've even got some little bits in the the upgrade system for different heroes that makes it look like the various um, alignments and different chaos factions are going to play a much bigger role further down the line. Yeah. The, the kind of prevailing theory right now, at least in, in the online communities I'm in, is that Warhammer 3 is going to be the, it's going to be focused on the demons because they don't have, they have an army book and they're not in the game yet. And then they're going to have like Korn, Slanesh, Zinch, and Nurgle as separate factions mm-hmm. that are going to have to kind of like fight each other to determine who gets to destroy the world, more or less. Um, I don't know how that's going to, play out on the grand campaign because i'm assuming you can't spawn four demon factions <laughs> in the same spot and just be like go for yeah, so it that might but... be one of the more fo- their, their version or three's version of the vortex campaign yeah could be or hear me out <laughs> warhammer 3 you plan it's mega campaigns, all this stuff like oh no chaos invasions like you know fight, fight like the dwarves are retaking the halls cool 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 and then an Imperial dropship lands on the world. <laughs> okay. And I ran uh, I ran I a 40k it. Dark Heresy campaign that was exactly this. I didn't tell people, it was a tabletop RPG group. I didn't tell them what we were playing. They started out in like this low fantasy medieval setting with like orcs everywhere. And then they, the black ship showed up like at the end of the first act, and they got rec- recruited into the Imperial Guard. That was one of the best campaigns I've ever that run. That is well, fantastic. Since, since we're probably not going to see another Dawn of War for a very long time, uh, oh. <laughs> this might be our, wah, our opportunity. Wah, wah. Hey, but at least Relic has got work. This um, is true. Making oh, Age yeah. of Empires yeah. of I, all things. Yeah, I didn't think I could get super excited about a new Age of Empires. I thought yeah. I was past it, and then they're like, "Relics." I'm not past it. it. Yep, I'm definitely not past it. I'm so excited. Look, I am still. And I know I'm going to disappoint myself. Like I know this is like this is the wrong thing to be hoping for because it's not going to happen. But they kept being like, "Here's all the eras of Age of Empires. Yeah. Didn't you love all those eras? Mmm, <laughs> those eras were great." Uh-huh. And I'm like, "What if they're going to make Rise of Nations, but they're just calling it Age of Empires yeah. now, like shit. Relics Rise of Nations?" That would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be absolutely fantastic. Because otherwise, why show that teaser? Why be like, don't you guys remember how much you loved Age of Kings? And everyone's like, yeah, I did love Age of Kings. Well, it's not going to be that. <laughs> it would be cool. Well, I mean, there is it? there was that old piece of concept art from the Age of Empires three manual that was like implying the fourth one was going to be modern warfare. No, which, which that doesn't need of, to exist. Now. Kind of interesting if if it, they did like the early game is all about like entrenchment. But then that becomes obsolete, and all those defenses you built like get run over by tanks and stuff. I could see. Oh it. no, I wouldn't want if that. They, if they did like a all machine of age, TJ, all of it. Now, I would prefer well, that. I would prefer. And that. if it's machine age, but I also like here's why. Yeah. Here's here's a couple reasons why I don't think that works. One, you're going to be like era one. European colonialism of the 1800s. Like, you guys love the Indian Mutiny and the Boer War? Boy, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> your, your ships come in. 
Congratulations, <laughs> you've unlocked open order rifle tack. <laughs> like, now your squads just scatter everywhere. Cool, great. Uh, and then it's like, all right, era two. It's World War One. Hope you've got lots of machine guns. Like it'd be terrible. Or it's like it's Age of Empires, World War Two. We got Relic to make it. it okay, it's Company of Heroes. Look, we just yeah, you guys like point, Company of Heroes, yeah. right? I'd be okay if if it was Company Heroes three. I'd I'd also be okay with that. But outside of that, my interest wanes the more modern it, it gets until it age, then gets Age into of the Empires. Future. <laughs> Age of Empires 4, Company of Heroes 3, Jedi Knight 2. Ardenza Assault uh, 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My dream. They, they've heard my prayers. Era 4, Hearts and Minds. <laughs> the campaign never ends. <laughs> you just play an increasingly <laughs> underwhelming multiplayer just, campaign. Yeah, it just becomes like democracy at that point. Uh. I don't even know how it would necessarily work in an Age of Empires game, but I, I, I just because I was so disappointed by the lack of one in Dawn of War three, uh, dynamic campaign, in an Age of Empires game that spans human history. I'm just, I'm yeah. really fa- like Civ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is why I'm thinking like on the one hand, I'm crazy to hope that like it'll be a Rise of Nations kind of thing. On the other hand. What else would it really make sense to be? Because, like, there's not a like, yeah, there's a lot of history to cover, but the problem is that Age of Empires kind of covered a lot of history over the course of that series. Mm-hmm. And, like, the places left to go are not places that necessarily fire the imagination unless you're just going to, like, go over old territory again. Like, well, it's, it's Age of Empires 4, but really it's 1 again. We just made a new one. Yeah, but or maybe then why would you have defended edition? All of the units are that cheap with the car with the guns from Age of Empires. Just <laughs> 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 my favorite uh, cheat as well. Just roll it oh, up. Yeah. Oh, you've got elephants. I've got a car with guns. Back, back in the days when like programmers and game artists had enough spare time, they're like, we're just gonna make a bunch of stupid cheat codes. Because wasn't it like it was the because sp- we can? It was the catapult or something, and you could turn it into one or something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. that was fantastic. I used to just have armies of them just swarming towns. Here's we the kind of drifted that, away from yeah, Warhammer. Warhammer. Uh, <laughs> here's the other thing that Warhammer three could, Warhammer three could be. It could just be 40k. It won't be. But what if it were? Like, because 40k is not actually <laughs> modern warfare. They, they fight in lines. No, it's it. Yeah, they and they still got swords, lots of melee stuff. Yeah, and, it's, and it still has that post apocalyptic I think I, I I don't think that's going to be the case. I think because it's a tri- it's a trilogy of Warhammer, but yeah. Creative Assembly, if they stealth release, I mean, it, it's. They might do something else. They might have another one. Maybe the um, the historical Total War they're working on is actually 40k. <laughs> oh man, can you imagine the outrage from the people who are already ticked off that they're making fantasy games? Like if they were like, the next historical game is about uh, the history of the 41st millennium. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that there's I still I still have a dream of a game where I can put like a squad of like twenty space marines up on a hill and just watch them mow down like ten thousand tyrannids. Oh my god! So there's that, this that means there is this garbage point. YouTube channel. It's like it's the worst shit imaginable. It's like epic battles of history. 
And it's somebody found like a game maker engine or something that's like got Rome one era graphics, and you just plug whatever variables oh, you want into it. Battle thing, yeah, because there's an yeah. actual game that lets yeah. you, yeah, yeah. And so some dude is just like he's got an entire like YouTube career out of just generating the shittiest videos of like you want to see a platoon of u.s <laughs> marines kill a million vikings and then like it's 30 minutes of like really terrible audio sound effects and like bad animations it's, and like it's really really bad it's like an interesting concept that has it's not even the executions just awful not just like any sort of army you could imagine chucking them in it's good for a laugh yeah but uh yeah it's truly awful but yeah, no, I, I would love it if they were like, and <laughs> here's our first historic total war. What could be more historic than the campaign that started it all? The Horus Heresy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, we can dream. Yeah, we, we can, and, and we will. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think having come back to Total Warhammer, like, this turned into a really excellent Total War game. Uh, probably one of their strongest offerings in ages. Very much like I, I think so, sort of further my cements my my view that like Attila was an incredibly important game uh, in the series oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for like changing how a Total War game could work and how it could be like conceptualized. Uh, it does have me more hopeful for Total Total Warhammer Two because I did play it at E three and I wasn't like I was neither super feeling that. Uh, that battle of the lizard men versus elves battle, uh, where the lizard men are basically trying to rush the stage at an elvish concert, <laughs> and uh, the elves are having none of it. Uh, and then the interview I had with the developers was surprisingly like, I want to say I need to go back and listen to my interview. I think they were even at that point like trying to deny there was going to be a merged map, uh, which was kind of underwhelming. But anyway. Uh, Having played, having seen how this game evolves, I'm a lot more excited for what they're doing with Total Warhammer 2. Um, and I'm also now kind of genuinely baffled as to what 3 is going to look like, uh, since 2 is going to check so many boxes. Yeah, and it even seems that they've they've evolved further on those concepts that we started to see pop up in Attila and that have really come to light in, in Total War Warhammer 1. It seems like the Vortex campaign, everything I've seen of it so far, is is taking that even further. Like, we're going to expand on what a Total War campaign can be. Oh, To the point that, like I've said, I'm worried that the combined map is not going to live up to the level of detail that's in the Vortex campaign. Yeah, like, I'm pretty apprehensive. I'm doing that as a bonus, uh, to an extent. Um, real quick, though, just because we've, we've been touching on the future of the series, we should talk about sort of the, the shift that's happening in the Total War series with the introduction of, like, sagas. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, like, they're basically saying the future of the Total War series is not what it's what it has historically been. They are now sort of, like, forking the series, if if I understand correctly. Yeah, and I th I, I'm very okay with that because I think it's, like, let the team that made... You know, follow the samurai and Attila and Napoleon kind of go off and do their own Stop thing. Stop cleaning up your shit. And, <laughs> yeah, and not have to like just follow on the heels of whatever the, the main team has made most recently. They're just kind of 
kind of let them loose to approach different eras of history. Good news, um, guys. We destroyed 10 years of goodwill. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. And I mean, I... Exactly. And I, I wrote about it. You know, I wrote about some possibilities. I'd love to see, like, a 1066 campaign. That would be awesome. Um, you know, even in, they could take the mechanics from Fall of the Samurai and do, like, some mid-1850s, like, some Crimean War-like type stuff. Like, I'm I'm very interested in this because... One of my best experiences of Total War in the last 10 years was actually the Caesar and Gaul campaign for, for Rome 2, which was a game with a lot of problems, as this show is covered extensively. Um, <laughs> but I, I would love to see more stuff on that scale, especially if they're they're going to give it like a whole game's worth of budget and development time. I'm just looking forward to like Total War Culloden. <laughs> <laughs> Will, will, the, will the Scots be independent this time? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it does. It does open things up a lot. Uh, in particular, because like the series has always been so wedded to what they've always sort of said or their goals for a particular historical era. So like, you're always either going to be at one of those weird moments in history where like. History is weirdly balanced uh, at a certain moment, or you're going to be adjacent to that period, like in a Napoleon type campaign. It will be interesting to see like where the series can go when it doesn't have to support the weight of uh, an entire like open-ended grand campaign. Especially because increasingly, like those campaigns have not been satisfying. Like, yeah, uh, I think maybe Shogun was the last one to really make that aspect of a total war like fully land. Um, and to an extent, like, yeah, Total Warhammer succeeds a bit better at that, but, like, its grand campaign still runs out of gas, and I would say its grand campaign is still structured a lot like one of those one-offs. Yeah, yeah, it definitely brings in a lot of ideas from that. It has a kind of an actual direction, whereas previous grand campaigns in the historical Total War is, other than Attila, uh, didn't. Well, I guess, and then Shogun as well. So it's all the best ones have this... Uh, not a laser focus, but still a certain. Certainly, it's kind of nudging you towards a certain path. Um, whereas, like Rome Two, was just very, very aimless. Or so, or so most of us said at the time. Anyway, that will do it for this week. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more strategy God discussion. Three moves ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is hosted in the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for TJ and Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.